Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. So three years on from his Arsenal sacking and having rejected Newcastle United, Unai Emery is heading back to the Premier League to replace Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa. I'm Mark Chapman. This is The Athletic Football Podcast. Breaking news on Aston Villa's Twitter feed. They have just announced that they are delighted to announce the appointment of Unai Emery as the club's new head coach. I don't think Villa supporters have been so excited about an appointment since Martin O'Neill left Celtic to join them in 2006. I think that the fact of having a failed experience in the Premier League is going to be a bonus for him because it's all of this stuff that he has learned from the past and he can use now. Before thinking about the good evening jokes, I'd say that this is like probably how you have to look at Unai Emery because that's what he's done on the pitch. Joining me to get into Unai Emery's Premier League return, we have the Athletics Aston Villa writer Greg Evans and also Paul Ballas. Let's just start with Gerard's departure. Greg, did we see actually in his last game and the first game without him why it had become untenable? Yes, I think so, Mark. Um, it was incredible, really, the the transformation between just just three days when when Aston Villa lost three nil at Fulham, and then went and beat Brentford so convincingly four nil at home on the Sunday. So, yeah, that's that's the kind of performance that Villa fans have been waiting for all season, and pretty much under Gerrard's reign, to be honest. He only ever had really a couple of standout performances during the during the thirty nine games in charge. So, yeah, towards the end, it felt like it was a right move to change. When did it start to turn for him in regards to his relationship with the fans? Well, to be honest, I don't think they ever fully took to him at the, at the start. You know, it took, it took a while for them to warm up to him, the supporters. Early results were quite good. But then Villa lost pretty convincingly on the opening day of the season at Bournemouth. And from there, it was really hard for him. I don't think any anyone inside the club and externally thought that Villa would go to the Vitality Stadium, you know, Bournemouth just getting promoted from the Championship and just be so poor and, and lose so convincingly. So it was it was a real struggle from there. And then I always say, I've seen this group of supporters hound out um, managers in the past. And, and when the away supporters turn, it feels like there's no way back. And, and, and there were cries of, we want Gerard out and you know get out of our club at the Nottingham Forest game, which was earlier this month. And those intensified when, when Villa failed to beat Fulham at Craven Cottage last week. Before we come on to Inayamari, just a final one, but Bournemouth on the opening day of the season was a, well, you could argue was a, was a disaster both on and off the field, actually. Because his post-match interview felt like it made things 10 times worse. Yeah, I think, you know, that was one of his mistakes, you know, the handling of, of the Tyrone Mings situation. Look, Mings was injured uh, or was at least carrying a, a niggling injury on that game. 
looking back, Gerard, all, all he really needed to, needed to say was Tyra Mings is injured, he'll be available for the next game and things could have been different. But yeah, the, the way he handled the captaincy change certainly went against him. And I think it actually started to turn supporters on him at that point because Tyra Mings is very popular amongst the Villa fan base and it, and it felt like he was almost getting thrown under the bus. His comments were taken a little bit out of context. There was the look in my eye, you know, I need Tyra Mings to look in my eye and tell me that he's ready. That was a line that Gerard tends to use quite regularly. You know, he needs to look me in the eye. It was just a, a, a turn of phrase that he used. But Greg, that, that's the line That's the line that in the last week I have heard more from both Villa and non-Villa fans than anything else. When Tyrone is um, back at his best and um, looks at me in the eye and shows me that he's ready to play, he'll get opportunities. It's amazing how one thing... How one line, in many ways, rightly or wrongly, can define someone's managerial era. And and that look me in the eyes feels like it's the one that most people are talking about. I know, I know. And it's obviously I went to every single press conference and and, and spoke to Stim Gerard on a weekly basis, you know, from, from Bodymore Heath. And he used that line quite a lot, <laughs> but because it wasn't such a high profile example of it, it didn't get drawn up in other, in other conversations so much. But look, I think he knew what he was trying to say. And he'll probably look back on that when he does move into his next role as a manager, because he will manage again, let's be honest. Um, and he'll learn from those mistakes. Talk us through the process from the Villa side of things, and then we'll bring Paul in from the, from the Emery side of things. But how did it work then? Once Gerard was let go, what was the process by which Villa eventually arrived at Unai Emery? Yeah, well, I mean, look, Villa were doing background checks, uh, you know, for some time on on potential candidates. It's that you know, if they were ever to to move on a manager and and replace him, it's what all big clubs do. Um, if they don't, then you know that they are seriously underprepared. So there were there would have been is that, con- is that a Villa dig at Wolves? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we're all friendly on this podcast. <laughs> There's no bitter rivalries here. <laughs> go on, sorry, go on. Um, so, look, Villa would have been speaking or at least sounding out potential candidates before. You know, we know that they gauged the interest of Mauricio Pochettino to see whether he would be interested in taking that job. It became quite clear that he wasn't early on. But Unai Emery moved right up to the top of their list very early. There were other candidates that, that Villa would have considered. Um, the same when Stephen Gerrard was appointed, there were other candidates as well. But they felt that Emery, with his European pedigree, uh, with his you know extensive record of making clubs better perfectly fit the bill and, and I think it's a brilliant appointment you know that I wrote it in my in my article in midweek I don't think Villa supporters have been so excited about an appointment since Martin O'Neill left Celtic to join them in wow. 2006 and and I mean you think of all the the other appointments that are, that have followed since you know Gerard Hulia Alex McLeish Paul Lambert Tim Sherwood etc etc nobody really matches up to the pedigree that Emery has was he first choice? I mean, no, or, or was he, say, one of three, but was the one who was, you know, fine margins between them all, but he was most gettable? I'm, I'm thinking of Pochettino and obviously Sporting Lisbon's Ruben Amarim here. Sure. I mean, they were all under consideration, you know, the three that, you, that you've that you mentioned there, Mark, but uh, we're told that, that Emery was the guy they really wanted. Does it, has this come as a bit of a surprise, Paul, to, to Villarreal and Emery? It comes to a bit of a surprise maybe for Villarreal, for the timing and for how everything has gone, but it doesn't come as a surprise if you have followed Emery, if you have heard Emery, what he has been talking about in the recent years. You could see that he had something, he had like a proof to point. 
in the Premier League and that he wanted back at some point. So in that regard, it's something that you could expect. But again, Villarreal, I'd say that in Spain, they are not entirely happy with with the timings. He most definitely feels he has a point to prove in the Premier League, does he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a thing that he really has on him. I think that the memories that he has from the Arsenal era are not bad in terms of like learning from that and just having like a new experience. But yeah, um, he thinks that he could have done better in the in the Premier League. Um, and yeah, as, as soon as I think that as soon as he realized that Newcastle was back for him last season, um, he felt that timings weren't like were like even worse than now because he was like in the run for the Champions League. The team was in a different uh, situation. But I think that he felt inside him that, okay, the Premier League is, is just coming back for me. Um, I'm going to get another chance just to prove my point here. And I think that at Aston Villa probably he, he gets a chance in a club because if you like look back at what Emery has done well in his past, I think that the best teams manage under uh, Unai Emery. We've seen them when they have played against like a better opposition or against a team that is regarded as better. So I think that he's going to find those kind of teams on the Premier League. And let's see if he if he can prove that point that he has. Most teams are better than Aston Villa right now, Pop. So it's, it's a good start for him. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. But are they? I mean, they are table-wise, Craig. But, but squad-wise... You know, not that many should be considered. I know they've got some injury problems as well, but squad-wise, they probably are a top 10 squad, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, you look through the squad and it's an expensively assembled squad now, isn't it? And, you know, Villa have made a a habit of breaking their their transfer record with, with sort of each passing year and window. The signings that have come in have become more high profile. Uh, you know, improving internationals like Luca Dean and, and, and Philip Coutinho who have come in in more recent windows. And, and Diego Carlos and Bubakar Kamara who have got obviously ambitions of playing for their, for their countries. And, and Kamara still may do it, the World Cup with France. And yeah, it, it just has been an underperforming squad, really. You, you look through it and they should be doing better. Villa's aims this season, and Christian Perslow has, has not been shy in saying this, the chief executive, is they want to push to become this best of the rest, you know, um, outside of the, the, the established top six. They want to be in that seventh position and are quite envious of Newcastle where they are now because that's where they hope they would be. So... Signing Emery. Um, do they do they do they see themselves as Newcastle's equal? Bearing in mind the amount of money that Newcastle have, I mean the the ambition is to be there. Of course, it, it's to it. They want to be the best of the rest. That's a uh, you know a phrase that has been used internally um, over and over. So yeah, that you know they are competing with Newcastle f- for that position. But what are they expect? That may be long term. I'm guessing. What are Villa expecting from? Unai Emery through to the end of this season. Well, look, it, it has to be a top half finish. Villa have not finished in you know in the top ten for twelve years now, um, so it's, it's it's difficult for them to, to 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 progress. But they have to start, you know, they have to start progressing because they've spent a lot of money. They've in, they've invested heavily. Um, they're in a rush, you know. That they've only been back in the Premier League for this is the fourth season, so it is difficult to keep to keep kicking on and 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 trying to bridge that gap. But they've got to finish in the top half if they've got any aims next season of of getting into Europe. You know, Stephen Gerrard was negotiating with players over the summer, telling them that we are pushing for the top seven. So players that signed like Kamara and Diego Carlos and Coutinho. 
they came to the club expecting to be higher up in the league and it just hasn't worked out that way. So Emery's got a lot to do because they're 12 games into the season um, and still knocking about in those lower reaches of the division. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Greg Evans and Paul Ballas are with us. We've talked about the Villa side of things. We're going to investigate more uh, in the next part uh, of the pod on what Aston Villa are actually getting in Unai Emery, what kind of coach he is. Hello, it's Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen here, otherwise known as The Offside Rule. We have a very special show. It's been 10 years of The Offside Rule. If you've been enjoying it over the last decade, you can get some extra insight. Yes, we have a really good chat about how the industry has changed in the 10 years and chat as well about some of the highs of recording a podcast as an only female trio in the football world and some of the lows as well. So join us for fun. We're also joined by Harriet Drudge and Laura Williamson from The Athletic. So check it out. That's The Offside Rule. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Let's look in more detail then at what Unai Emery can bring to the table at Aston Villa. First of all, let's hear from our Spanish football writer, Dermot Corrigan. I would say there's been maybe no surprise at Emery deciding to move from Villarreal to Aston Villa at the moment. Since the Newcastle uh, dalliance last season, there's been an idea that he would return to the Premier League, as he said to the Athletic when he was speaking to us last year. There's also a feeling that the time is now right, that um, he, he's done what he had to do. He, he won a trophy with Villarreal for the first time in their history with the, the Europa League a couple of years back. Last year's Champions League run was amazing for, for the club to get past Juventus, to get past Bayern Munich, to push Liverpool as well in the semi-finals. It was going to be very difficult to, to top that. That had an impact on their La Liga position, which meant at the end of finishing seventh or in the Conference League this year. And that didn't have the same kind of romanticism about it or, or a feeling that the project was still moving forward. I got the, the impression from speaking to Emery last April that he felt he was going to end up back at the Premier League sooner or later, that he would have moved from Newcastle in November, just the timing wasn't right. It wasn't that he had a problem with, with Newcastle's Saudi ownership or that Newcastle being very low on the Premier League table at that moment was holding him back. It was more he felt that he couldn't leave Villarreal. He got them into the Champions League. They were in a tricky situation in, in the group at that stage, but they had you know, a chance to, to qualify as they did and go on and beat Juventus and Bayern Munich to make the semi-finals. So he always wanted to go back to England to prove himself, I think. It's just that Newcastle came at the wrong moment. Definitely felt that he, he thought that he had learned from the experience at Arsenal, that he had done good stuff there. He, he was proud of the job that he had done and come in. Replacing Wenger was always going to be difficult, but he felt there was a, 
a lot of things that had to be changed at the club in order to, to move the team forward. He felt they were working through that, but that just there hadn't been enough patience or maybe just the situation had got, got difficult, especially with the pressure from fans as well who didn't show patience and the institutional problems at the club, which meant that he had to go. But coming back to the Premier League, proving himself again was definitely on his to-do list at that stage and now it's come around again. Unai Emery, especially at VRL anyway, he wants his keeper to, to be comfortable on the ball. He gave a lot of responsibility to Ruli, who wasn't the best, maybe not the most reliable shot stopper, but was very good at, at passing out from the back. He had two centre-backs, especially Pau Torres, who were comfortable on the ball. He had the whole team set up so that they could draw opponents onto them by playing it around at the back and then hit with, with razor-sharp kind of counter-attacks or play through when, when they twisted the opposition team out of shape. And that meant that the players had to follow very detailed instructions, that they worked a lot on training, on team shape, on where there had to be when the ball was in a certain position, what runs they had to make. Spoke with Arnau Danjuma also during last season, who said that he was really impressed with Emery's. The detail that he put into the plans for games, how he told the players how what situations were going to come up in matches, and if they followed his instructions, the opportunities that they would have. That means that he relied on the players to actually to do that, to listen to him, to be able to take on board the tactical instructions that he gave and then to, to carry it out on the pitch. So it would depend maybe on the Villa players on whether they have the, the technical qualities to do what he wants them to do, whether they want to take it on board, whether they're the type of player who, who likes to, to have that type of detailed instruction and, and go ahead and do it. Maybe he'll have a different idea at Villa when he looks at the strengths and weaknesses of the squad as well. But if he continues what he's doing at Villarreal, then you know it'll require the Villa squad and the Villa players to listen carefully to what he says. A lot of work on the training ground, a lot of videos, and then a lot of just doing what the boss tells you to do. That was Dermot Corrigan on Unai Emery. Paul, I'm interested in something you said earlier on the pod, which is a little bit of the underdog status that Unai Emery relishes with, with his teams. Is he better off then with a with this kind of Villarreal Villa where there is an underdog element in certain games, but there's still an expectation in other games? Is that is that the kind of club that suits him? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, especially like if you look at his record and the Europa League runs that he's had with 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 Sevilla, like the most remembered games are, as I was saying, like beating like better opposition on paper. And I think that Unai Emery is really good at that, at like taking the best out of players who someone might think that they are not that good. So he makes them that good. Um, and I think that in that regard, he feels Aston Villa. But as you were saying, Aston Villa is not a team just to... They are not tipped to fight for relegation. Uh, they have quality in the squad. And in some games, they are going to be required to do more than like counter-attacking or just wait for the opposition just to go at them so they will I think that he will have a bit of both sides of the game just in just in some fixtures just wait for the opposition and on the other one just they will have to go after them so they play Villa play Chelsea he will relish he will relish the underdog side of things Villa play with all due respect so you know we'll get stick it but Villa play Bournemouth right he will have no problem with the with the favorites tag in that game yeah because I think I mean, and varying with all the differences because I don't think that Villarreal has a player that can earn as much as he will earn at, at Aston Villa, just, yeah, for example. But I think that the pedigree that Villarreal had in La Liga is quite similar to what Aston Villa wants. When they play yeah. against Barcelona, they are a team that, that they can fight against Barcelona or Real Madrid and they can uh, get the point out of them. But when they play, I don't know, against Getafe or, or against like a league lower team, they are also a team that has football in it. So I think that he's kind of used to that, and that's a good point for him. Um, that's a good point. I think that probably like his biggest challenge is going to be the man management because if you if you ask to anyone on his Arsenal days, 
Um, probably like the management of the dressing room was one of the reasons that took him out of that bench, apart from the results. But yeah, I think that the fact of having a felt experience in the Premier League is going to be a bonus for him because it's all of this stuff that he has learned from the past and he can use now. What Spanish for look me in the eyes? <laughs> Mírame a los ojos. All right. Greg, you got that? Look out for that if you hear that in a don't, press conference. Don't ask me to repeat, to repeat that, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but th- this element of, of, a, of an underdog but an underdog with expectations actually does fit Aston Villa very well. And I, I, you look at the last two performances of, of Gerard's reign, fantastic against Chelsea for an yeah. hour. You know, Villa Park absolutely rocking, actually. For, they were applauded off at half-time, even though they were behind in that game. Underdog against Chelsea. Abject at Fulham. I mean that 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 this is this the Aston Villa meet Villarreal. <laughs> yeah, it's almost perfect, hmm. isn't it? It's um, Gerard was never able to to beat a, a top six team, which look you know is, is difficult for Aston Villa, admittedly. Um, but Dean Smith managed to to beat five of the top six, so you know he was often beaten with that stick. But I think what Emery's got to come and do is is make sure that Villa really turn up and perform well and are exciting and attractive to watch in those games against the teams in and around them that they are expected to beat. If they can start getting bonus points against the top six, then great. Um, And it'd be really interesting to see uh, how he sets up because... I followed Villarreal through for the Champions League last year and they're they excellent to watch. You know, they, they changed their game plan against Juventus and, and were exceptional against uh, Bayern Munich in, in the quarterfinals to beat both of those teams and, and then go out to, to Liverpool. But they, they had a, a different game plan in every game, which, you know, was really um, encouraging because that's what Villa will, will want to see. You know, at the end of the Gerard reign, it was very much, we're playing the same way. We hope this will do the best for us. And, and it just wasn't, unfortunately. And I think football's moved on, hasn't it? You, you need to be adaptive for, for each opponent. Dermot spoke there about how demanding he is, Greg, a real tactician. Is it, you may not know, this may be an unfair question to ask. Is, it, is this a Villa squad that you think will relish that type of head coach? It's going to be very different for for I think some of the longer performing uh, longer um, standing players that have been in in this squad because they will will not have had this um, intense drilling that that Emery is going to bring. I presume there's going to be a lot of shadow work. There's going to be a lot of work on shape, and that might become boring and repetitive in in the opening weeks. But it's the long project that that Emery tends to build. He he wants his players to know exactly their roles and responsibilities. And if the Villa players can see the benefit of that, I'm sure they'll buy into it. There are going to be individuals that will that will relish it more than, than others and some that will struggle. But um, I think they've got a bunch that are, that are very tactically astute. They can, they're intelligent enough to take on the instructions that Emery will, will put to them. And let's just hope they're able to put it into practice on the match day. How is Emery viewed in Spain, Paul? And, and the second part of that is then how, how is he... How is him taking this job viewed? But him as the him as the individual first, please. Yeah, so basically him as an individual, he's like regarded as a like as a tactician, as a like a obsessed person with, with with that. I can't remember like speaking about players that has been managed uh, for Unai Emery in the past. And they all told me like how mental he was, like in terms of like preparing games, just 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 like the analysis. Um, he could even like give advice on how to use your body, how to shape your body depending on the type of pressure that you have from the opposition. Like that for some players is like off the scale. Like um, he's not even like saying me 
um, where I have to pass the ball, where, where I have to go when we need, where, when we have the ball or how I have to press. He is even telling me how to shape my body. So it's kind of, he's that kind of mind. At the same time, I would say that, that at Villarreal and in Spain, they feel a bit disappointed by the fact that uh, Villarreal, a team that plays European competitions, that um, last season was in the Champions League semifinals, they cannot compete against Aston Villa. And, and they can see how, how the Premier League and how like a mid-table team of the Premier League, no, no, no disrespect to that, Greg, and to all the Aston Villa fans but right now, yeah, um, can just lure uh, out the leader of the project. Because right now, Unai Emery was like the big personality of that Villarreal project and they just took him out with no margin just to respond. It's crazy, really, isn't it, Paul? When, when you, sorry, Mark, when, when you think about it, you know, Villarreal got to the, the semi-finals of the Champions League last year and, and, and Villa could have dropped to the bottom of the Premier League if, if they'd have lost on, on Sunday and they're managing to take a manager away from it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And last season, it, it was Newcastle that was like in relegation zone and yeah. he really was considering it when, when, like, when, when, when Villarreal was like in the Champions League. Um, you could tell by the words this week that the Villarreal president Fernando Roch was not happy about that and that they were taken by surprise in the last weeks when all the contacts like started with Unai Emery. But at the end of the day, that's how football industry is right now. Is he seen as a cup manager in Spain, particularly European cup competitions more than the league? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's, he's seen as a manager that thrives with the pressure of of like the knockout games uh, that's like a good bonus for him but I would say as well that he's good like in the week in week out competition um, I'd say that his his Sevilla side back in the days was like really close to make it well he made it to the Champions League um, he was able to compete like on a weekly basis against uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid so he has proven that he's good at, as well in the league competitions I'd say that he's a really complete manager and the only two marks on his on his CV on his past that you could say that ah, those were not good enough were when he was at PSG and Arsenal probably like two elite clubs that um, I think that it was a good question when you asked Greg about if the dressing room could relish or could take in a good way this kind of tactical challenge that Emery is going to provide. Because I think that the two things that he, or, or yeah, just the two projects that weren't like successful enough in his background were in dressing rooms that probably didn't appreciate some of his tactical mm. insight at some point. Why is he, ma- I mean, he's managed big clubs in Europe, in Paris Saint Germain and Arsenal. And of course, Aston Villa are a former European champions as well. We should always mention that, shouldn't we, Greg, to, to those people who have only followed football since 1992. Why has he never got one of the big two in Spain, Paul? Basically because those two clubs are like complicated. Um, <laughs> yes. that's, that's, that's like the first point. I think that those clubs are also led by a bit of the international pedigree or the Marquis signings that they want to do. Emery is a manager that yeah, he has not enjoyed probably when he has has to manage like dressing rooms with like big, big, big egos. Um, and I'm talking about PSG and I'm talking about maybe Arsenal yeah, at some point. And yeah, probably he hasn't had like the like the prestige um, just to be like an elite top club manager. But yeah, um, I think that if he could have kept kept on on that way, 
I don't see um, why he cannot be back like in a big, big club in in Europe. Why not, of course? All of this is good, Greg, because the, the, the tactical side and how he works and so on and so forth, because as you will be aware, and, and Paul will be aware as well, at times during, unfairly, I, in my opinion, but at times at Arsenal, he, he was kind of, you know, be, became... I mean, some people laughed at him, didn't they? Let, let, let's be blunt at that. And that that's through through no fault of his own, actually. Yeah, it was just difficult at Arsenal, wasn't it? I mean, it started quite well for him. I think they were third in in April 2019. And, and then, you know, they lost a couple of games against teams that they were expected to win. They lost the Europa League final to Chelsea. And it kind of unravelled rather spectacularly after that. But it did start quite well. And it was, I thought it was quite, I thought it was unfair on him, really, the figure of fun almost that he become because he's, he's come to England, you know, he's got an extensive history on, on making teams better. He's come to England on the back of Arsene Wenger losing his job, you know, after 22 years or whatever he was, he was in charge. It, that was always going to be difficult for that next man. And, you know, he was, the language difficulties were brought up, which I always, think he's unfair from us English because Very, yeah. most of us, it, I mean, I, I can't speak another language and most of the people I knock about with can't. And um, I just think that it's it, it's wrong to, to pull up a man who's trying to speak in another language, etc. But he wanted to come back here. He had unfinished business, didn't he? So hopefully he can rebuild that reputation a little bit. Do you want one on that, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I think that the good evening jokes, um, it's something that I don't know Unai Emery personally. Uh, I have spoken with him like in press conferences. I made questions to him, but I don't know him that deep to know if they had an effect on him. It's like possible. Um, but yeah, basically, I'm like on the same page than Greg. I think that probably people forgot about or they, they just didn't have like the respect of a manager for uh, like Unai Emery that he came through like the really deepest of the pyramid in Spain. He managed like in, in second tier teams, in third tier teams. He was a former footballer, but he hasn't had like an easy path to the elite of football. He has earned it by himself. Um, and the path that he followed to get to uh, Arsenal was fantastic. And just when he left uh, Arsenal, he just won Man United in a Europa League final. He kicked Arsenal out of a Europa League semi-finals. I think that Villarreal had an amazing display last season at Old Trafford at the group stage of the Champions League. And then at the semi-final of the Champions League, he almost kicked Liverpool out, or he scared Jurgen's clubs, Liverpool, just to miss out on the Champions League final. So just before thinking about the good evening jokes, I'd say that this is like probably how you have to look at Unai Emery, because that's what he's done on the pitch, which is where, where he should be judged, in my opinion. Final one from a Villa perspective, Greg, before we wrap up. How important is this for the Villa CEO, Christian Persler? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a big one for him. Um, he pushed to get Steven Gerrard in. It didn't work. That era is now moved on now. Um, I think the way that Villa have acted quickly and decisively and got a guy like Emery in, we you know, is a, is a timely boost for him. I don't think there are many other you know, realistic candidates that Villa could have got that were any better than Emery. So, yeah. They need to kick on, as I said earlier in the podcast. They need to finish in the top half and, and work towards the um, European places. Because for the first time ever since since Christian Perslow has joined the club, and that, that was four years ago now, the supporters were starting to put a bit of heat on him. We will uh, leave it there. Greg, Paul, thank you very much. Plenty more on Unai Emery's appointment at uh, Aston Villa on theathletic.com. So head there. And then on tomorrow's pod, uh, Sean Dyche will join us. See you then. 
The Athletic.